0: Hello and welcome. This is PSG review, the show that is this week as latest as PSG's form this season. Also known as the podcast with more package than our women's side since the last autumn. We salute their effort and all things considered they have done amazingly well even if no longer playing for the biggest trophy. But that is another subject matter and we will get into that in a brief moment. My name is Nico and I am ever so glad that you are listening to this. If I may self-indulge for a moment, I started this show essentially one night after a PSG match this January of 2022. I can't remember specifically which precise match it was, but I can tell you that it was one of the ones that was very frustrating, which unfortunately doesn't really narrow it down very much. It's still quite broad. There's been enough of those types of matches, but I was awake after the match in the middle of the night and my brain was computing the match and the issues of the team and the club, how I felt about them. I felt also I didn't have an outlet to talk about it. I mean, it's nice to tweet about it and all, but sometimes you need, well, sometimes I need to have more time and focus to get into the details and nuances of it all. I'm very much the kind of person that I don't like um, things that are generalizations and I don't like things that are simplifications And the starting point for everything is that. Well, it is complicated. That is my go-to disclaimer when I talk about most things. Well, it is complicated, but I do uh, think that these things also they deserve a little bit of examination. For me, you know, it's nice to wonder, ponder, and speculate, to vent. Although I don't really want. I I, I never really wanted this to be that kind of space. Sometimes it can happen, but predominantly. I tried to stay away from, from the kind of like wenting and all that it involves. So I decided that for my own self, I will start a podcast. If someone else wants to listen to it, all the better. But I wanted to do this for me as an outlet and try it out for the spring term of 2022. And you came along for the ride. I'm really very full of gratitude. That was really great. There's been listeners from 50 different countries. Um at the moment and, and counting, as they say, which to me is really mind-blowing because I consider myself a kind of global citizen and I really appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much. It's really great that uh, people from so many different countries, you know, so many different people have been listening to this. I, I think it's it's really nice. It really is great. And I have also been thinking a lot, you know, about by the way we talk about sport. This is kind of like a little bit bigger point. How we talk about sports and football in specific, and I feel like the shift that has happened in the recent years to more fan-driven content makes a lot of sense to me. Like things that um, started maybe with the Arsenal. They had like the, there was a podcast. There was the Arsenal Fan TV. Things like that. Undoubtedly, there were other ones as well, and 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 that. But I think those were the ones that really broke broke through, and a lot of people. Thought that as a great formula to talk about sport because in football, everyone has got a bias. Consider this for a moment. Here's here's an example. If you now walk past the football pitch somewhere near where you live and there are two teams playing, one of them is wearing a yellow shirt and the other one is wearing, you know, let's say a blue shirt, and you stop and you watch the match, even for half an hour or whatever. Let's assume. In this example that we're talking about, that you don't know any of the players, you don't know the teams, you don't know where they're from, and you have no connection to any of it, none of it. Just two teams, one in yellow and another one in blue shirt. I bet you it won't take very long before you are on the side of one or the other one of these teams. That certainly is something that happens to me. This is kind of like a real-life example. You know, I'm not saying that you will lose night sleep if it doesn't go your way. It doesn't even mean you can't change your favorite mid-match, but there is something. There's something very specific about sports, I feel. It's the way that we are wired, the, the way that, that we are as people. Maybe it's some player there who did a nice thing, had some flair, you enjoyed it. Some other people by the pitch side, they look very annoying, and you decide, decide with the opponent opponent's the the, the team that they're not supporting. Perhaps you just like yellow shirts more than blue. Maybe it's your favorite color. But in my opinion, it's quite rare to be entirely neutral in sports. We can say we are, but we aren't. Not in my opinion. Of course, this applies to a lot of other things in the world as well. We're talking about sports, football in specific, and this applies to journalists as well. I have seen many football journalists talking about their neutrality because they have to, they have to, yet I've felt their hostility towards the PSG project. Now you can say that as PSG fans, sometimes we come across a little bit paranoid, and we see, we see enemies and haters, even places where they're not necessarily even at. But at the same time, you kind of also feel the hostility towards the PSG project much more so than Manchester City, which you know you would imagine that they would have to have the same if the crowns are. The, the funding or the proprietor, the owners of the club, so on and so forth. But it's not. It's not quite the same. Sometimes it is because people uh, dislike the French Ligon 1 and uh, that's uh, That's another kind of misconception, ma- ma- mainly because most of those people who are very vocal about uh, their criticism of Ligue 1, almost as a rule, don't really follow it. So it's kind of a pointless exercise. But the press, the media, they love their endless think pieces, their sort of stubborn misunderstanding of what is happening in Paris, what is happening for PSG, and they're twisting the narrative so long that they fit and supposedly prove what their opinion was all along. And probably supporters of all teams feel this way, I was saying how we are paranoid, but maybe everybody's, maybe this is kind of like part of the deal. And, and the, the reason why we all feel like our team is hard done oftentimes is because we are biased. Sometimes you see clubs that really have had it quite easy, you would say, who have had many clear examples that the decisions have gone their way in a very kind of clear and meaningful way. It certainly it has seen that outside if you if you are examining it and something happens to them and they're like, oh, this is outrageous because it's normal. It's like the air that they breathe, that, 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 is, that is the way that it goes. It is true that we, in football, we see each other as an enemy sometimes, not even necessarily in a horrible way, but it's part of the deal. That's just the way that it is. That's kind of what bias does. Noam Chomsky once talked about uh, sports, you know, how it teaches us to be in opposition to one another. Sort of, it normalizes the idea that essentially, you know, we are... Um, Enemies or or it's very unhelpful in a bigger scheme of things. That's that's like if you think about on a societal level, <laughs> what sport does to us in this in this way? It's not very it's not very good. It's not very constructive. And I think it's a fair point. Of course, uh, I agree with him on that. I agree with him on many many different things. I don't disagree at all. But I also can't help it. It is what it is. It's a wonderful right to be part of. You know, I have digressed a bit as <laughs> so I sometimes do. So I'm talking about the unspoken. Or, an admitted bias of the journalist. Yes, I'm talking about that. I'm I'm talking also about the very clear and unashamed bias of the fans. If you listen to a podcast by a fan like this one that you are currently listening to, you are clever enough to calibrate your own opinions and thoughts based on the fact that this guy, who is a big PSG fan, I'm talking about myself in this instance, said this, and this is his view. But what are my views? this is just an information I'm giving to you and based on how you feel about my bias, you can calibrate your own opinions, you can consider these ideas you can say, oh, I disagree with him, it's fine it's fine, it's all good, it's good I, I, we're all our own people and we all have our own opinions, this is part of the broader conversation and I approach this conversation with my specific bias, as do you as do the journalist that is my argument and they can make a sort of conscious effort to, to minimize that impact but it's very difficult to um, Certainly just denying it is not the solution to it. My values and my opinions, they are mine. They inform my ideas, what I talk about here in PSG review. And you know, um, hopefully you're not thinking that this is the absolute truth because the absolute truth may not even exist. I'm just trying to make sense of it all the best that I can. So there is that. Of course, you know, I come from a media background, so... Podcasting to me is a fun thing, but there is a bigger issue in my opinion than the bias. The media culture. You know, well, the earning model. And now I'm talking about the more traditional uh, media. The, the fancy word of what I'm talking about, the, what they say in academia, they talk about the political economy of media, but <laughs> we keep this clean. The, the way that the media works is such that the various publications, blogs, newspapers, radio shows, etc., they they rely on clicks. And that's why. Quite often, too often, very often, they are relying on clickbait. The more clicks, the better for them. So they don't really care if you vigorously share the clip. You know, I'm talking about like talk sports and the likes because they think that it's utter offensive rubbish, which the talk sports mainly is, but it doesn't matter. Because as long as you click that, as long as you share that, you comment, you do all that stuff, the algorithm pushes that forward and the adverts can be sold. They can sell more adverts and for more money. So it's a good business model. Outrage is a good business model. It might be a better business model than a sensible analysis. You know, so that's uh, that's something to consider. So that's why even the more respected platforms have these types of clickbait headlines that try to get your attention. They imply something quite huge give very little info. It's a suggestion and most of the time when you click, it's underwhelming. Something like ex-football star rants about Messi then you open it and someone in a press conference somewhere has been asked a question and they have given an answer that is not that interesting and the headline makes you feel like they were on a rooftop with a megaphone shouting obscenities and cursing and doing all this stuff. So that's the kind of thing but we also make peace with the fact we know, (laughs) we know that essentially when we click that, we already know that it's going to disappoint us. It's not going to give us what it promises. The thing that it promises, it's not going to deliver. Yet we do it over and over again. It's a human psychology. So the coverage, I feel, is disingenuous many times. And we, you know, the PSG supporters, we know this too well, of course, because as it has been said sometimes, we are the Hollywood FC. (laughs) We have the stars and the stories that sell copies. You know, these days, I guess they generate the clicks for sure. And... We never seem to be too far from some controversy, so the publications that cover it, to them, we are a goldmine. The way that we are being covered, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a click heaven. It'd be interesting to see how much of all the clicks about French football around the world are BSG based And what percentage of all those clicks of any football content have got something to do with us? Which, uh, admittedly, I think that's going to be you know not not that much in that context because you know you have the Premier League with its original Murdoch money, such a dominant force, especially in the English speaking world. But there's still quite a bit of talk about us, and mostly it's not very nice or well researched, in my opinion. Even if it was well meaning, it's often kind of twisted to one direction or another. It's like this, any major player there is in men's football, one time or another, they are rumoured to come to PSG. So much so that I think it's a strategy used by agents and players themselves to leak a PSG rumour to help them to negotiate better contract renewals at home. They want to stay where they are, they just want a whole lot more money, so they say, oh, you know, PSG are interested. So then, ah, you know, it happens. And then the press says... After that, after after they those players have uh, have extended their contract there, they say something like Barcelona, whatever other club they renew its star players amidst the PSG rumors. But who was spreading those rumors? You were spreading the rumors. The press was spreading those rumors. Don't put this on us. It was the press that was spreading those rumors, and people believe outrageous PSG related rumors and sometimes these things actually end up happening. That's the mad thing about that. At least just enough to prove that you can't entirely discount them. That's the crazy thing about PSG. It would be nice if you could say "Ah, this is typical. But then, I mean, in all fairness, we currently have both the recent legendary captains of Barcelona and Real Madrid in our team. So, who would have thought that would would be possible you know for them to even play for the same same club for the same team but he- yet here we are so then every now and again there are these mad things that happen unexpected mad things that happen and then people are like saying oh well you know you never know with PSG it is true you never know with PSG but i would say that quite a vast majority of these rumors are really baseless and in bad faith M- my challenge is that i don't believe the press is after the truth when it comes to these things individual journalists may be this is not uh, an attack was not an attack against anybody. This is just me talking about how I view the, the world and these situations. But this certainly is not to be taken as a kind of attack on journalists, individual Individual journalists, some of the many of them, I'm sure, are really great, very, very much well-meaning uh, people who are trying to tell the truth as they see it. And I'm not saying when I talk about the bias, I'm not saying that it's like a, like a thing that renders the whole exercise meaningless. Not at all. It's just a consideration. But for them too, this is about structures. Just like it is for PSG. You can be a great journalist, but your editor may be not too dissimilar to Leonardo. And the owner is some mad billionaire type of person tapping phones and avoiding taxes somewhere in some uh, island, nation, wherever they may be. So in a way, we are all in this together. But my point is that I don't care for the media ecosystem around sports or, or elsewhere for that matter. I'm not shouting fake news like some of these people. That's really not my... Where my criticism comes from, it comes from an entirely different angle, kind of like from the other direction, but I'm just sharing this here now because I know that we are entering a mad season and things have already been quite mad when it comes to the press coverage. And one of the reasons why I also talk about this actually is because I've been thinking about this quite a bit this week. I was asked, listen, I was asked last week to give a comment to a major UK broadsheet newspaper, which I won't name here. It was about PSG's women's team. I don't know how these people find me. I mean, I've been talking about various PSG issues here, uh, you know, on Twitter, here on my podcast more recently, here in, in Finland, um, where I live, where I'm from. I've talked to, I've been interviewed by the public broadcaster as well. When Messi was coming, I was asked to comment for Euronews. I was on a Euronews channel um, when Bochettino came i'm i'm not trying to make i don't l- look for these things they sometimes just find me and happen and and it's it's fine i don't mind i don't mind uh if if that's 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 the way that it goes but this time it was a paper that i just find morally very objectionable as i, as I do find many of the uk newspapers uh, objectionable anyway uh, i was a media student in their country so i uh, have a special relationship with them and as much as i'm sure that the journalist who was contacting me is very nice, well-meaning person trying to do their best covering the women's sport, which in and of itself is a great thing and I, and I admire. I also know that the story is likely to be twisted into some drama about locker room difficulties, Hamurai Gate and rumours of departures for some of our key players. I, I just feel like, especially the way that a women's team has been covered, is like, nobody cares when there's trauma, all of a sudden everyone thinks that they are the specialist. Again, I'm not talking about this journalist, I'm talking about a phenomenon around this thing, how it works. So I don't want to contribute to those narratives even if the publication would have been more reasonable. Even if the publication would have been more reasonable, I still would have, you know, not... I would have preferred not to not to talk about these things because... I don't really control the way that things are coming out and I don't really want to contribute to that. And and, and and what happened is I didn't really respond to this inquiry because I didn't have the energy to diplomatically try and say that I hate your employer and it's part of the problem here. <laughs> In the bigger scheme of things, it's part of the problem. You know, I, you don't want to say that to somebody who was very kind to me and I'm sure a very good person. So if you listen to this, I'm sorry. It is what it is. But when it comes to these things, I feel like when I say what I say here or elsewhere, Elsewhere, I say it out of love. See, that's the thing. Even when I disapprove or I'm disappointed, hurt or angry, it's out of love. This is not my hustle. This is not for clicks or money. I, I don't care. if you. I, 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 I'm so happy that you listen to this. But even if you stop listening to this, I would do this. I would do this because this is a labor of love. You know, hence I like to control my own narrative and try to keep it uh, positive and always constructive. And like said, I was saying that I had decided I'm gonna do this during this spring, and we will see after that how it goes. But you know, it's been pretty fun. I have enjoyed that. But let's get into it. Let's let's get into the the, the, the subject. I just felt like it's good to kind of like, you know, talk a little bit about the environment. But when we're talking about PSG, where's the information coming from? Who decides the narratives? Who decides what is the angle? How are we seen outside of the fan base and, and even outside of France? So I'm also out of France myself. And and so on and so forth. But let's talk about the PSG women. They are frustratingly out of Europe. Good campaign by them, though, despite being marked by difficulties, starting from the last summer. Uh, I think kind of the starting point, certainly to me, is that we lost one of our key players, Christian Endler, who undoubtedly is the best goalkeeper in women's football. Also, Perle Morone left, and now she sits on the bench in Lyon, which I won't get into too much, but sad to see anyway, her ability going to waste there. A big blow, of course, was the departure of our captain Irene Paredes, who I thought was getting ready to retire, but then all of a sudden she signed for Barcelona. That may have been a misunderstanding from my side anyway. I'm not sure, but, uh, but it, it is what happened. And Leonardo had not been doing his job, with this women's team. I think that Leonardo is a kind of like a catch-all thing in PSG that everything is Leonardo's fault. I don't think everything is Leonardo's fault, but I think this is very specifically something that he had he hadn't taken care of the women's team which was part of his job at the time. He had he had he had left things not taken care of, and uh, some of the players were frustrated. They had had enough. And then too late last summer, you know, Leonardo hired Ulrich Rame as a general manager of the Paris Saint-Germain women's team to take care of all these businesses, all these things that that were sort of left uh, as as they were not taken care of. And and he has been trying to get the team in order, renew the contracts where needed, and have more of a fresh start. And to be honest with you, some key players have been renewing, which is a huge relief because otherwise the building of this team, the rebuilding of this team is even bigger mountain to climb than what it is so credit to him he he, he has done you know good work in, in, in many ways. Then happened this attack on Hamruai and I don't gossip about it, but the undeniable and inescapable fact is that Aminata Diallo was held in police custody as an innocent person for a few days and that is unacceptable. It is unforgivable and I'm not blaming PSG, I'm not blaming Leonardo or or anybody, like I'm not, obviously it is what it is, but the entire aftermath has been a hot mess. I I hope it can be fixed. Better late than never but nevertheless this has been a huge issue for the season and this has been the one that has been casting the the shadow over the team and these are the things maybe people want to hear about but i don't I don't want to talk about it in a kind of way where I'm speculating there's no there's not really much speculation all I'm saying here is a kind of like this is what is happening <sighs> one year ago we were a team in women's football that won its first ever French title we knocked out OL out of the Champions League and required a little bit of something new to get to the top of the continent. Like, we were very close, but then the house of God sort of came down. Not entirely, of course, the rebuilding became more of a challenge than what it had been. Because I will say this, Barcelona is a strong team of the moment, the kind of team to beat at the moment, but they are largely only very physical side. UFC Barcelona I call them and with little bit of literal strengthening of this squad we would have been up there battling for every trophy which is even this season we were until this weekend but now we bowed out of the Women's Champions League after the uh, aggregate defeat to OL who by the way aren't the team that they think they are and playing the cards right I think that we can take over next summer with a clever recruitment we have many Young, very exciting players, uh, they rely on experience, perhaps a little bit more. I have been so happy, for instance, in our side to see our academy player, Larena Faser getting game time in absolutely huge season-defining matches like the ones against OEL now in Women's Champions League. And that is how you make champions. That is how you grow them. I'm very pleased about that. I'm very pleased and I, I wish we could see more of that in men's side as well. For women still to play for Coupe de France, which is a very realistic prospect, and the league isn't easy. But anything can happen. Need to beat OL, and they need to stumble elsewhere as well. Not too many games left. It is possible, I'm not sure if it's likely, but it is possible, and and I would say that if, if we beat OL at Parc de France... I hope it's played on Parc de France when 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 it's the return match. I think that's already a, a, a also a good enough result because you have to also be realistic. We, it's not in our control whether some other club will will uh, beat OL or even draw. In the match against OL this last weekend at Park, we also broke the French attendance record in women's football. 43,255 people. And the thing about Parc de Princes is unlike with many other stadiums around Europe and around the world, the capacity it is what it is. It's not the biggest stadium in the world. Far from it. We know this. But we've always measured the attendance in decibels. The ongoing, uninterrupted singing and chanting. and Not in the tourist tickets. And how about that? The ultras 100% behind women after all the drama of this spring, let's say spring, the ultras firmly behind our women's team. So how does the media narrative that has been so resolute in its misinterpretation of events with ultras, how do they explain this? Our women's team is out of Europe, no more Champions League, but the ultras were there in full swing, singing their praises and thanking them after the defeat. The question is... Why would they do that if the case was, as media keeps on insisting, that it is us, the fans, who obsess about Champions League and it was our disappointment to crash out of the men's side? And, well, you know, of course, there was a disappointment for everyone. That's clear. But with the resources available, you can still lose. You can always lose. Bayern lost. Chelsea lost. Many great clubs have lost this year and many other years before. We all know that only one team can win it and only two teams can make it to the final. These things are kind of stating the obvious, but you have to try. You have to try. And, and if you don't seem too bothered, that's more of a problem. Like, this is what happened, that I don't think that ultra's criticism for the men's team was that they lost. It was the way they lost. Because the fans only want players to respect the shirt. Women have done it through a nightmarish season, whereas men have had other issues. And that is not to blame the players alone, or even that much at all. I accept that to me, it seems a bit much when we talk about players needing better manager to try to be encouraging and to to encourage them to be on their best levels. Like the millions of euros deposited on their bank accounts wouldn't imply that already. But at the same time, we could have had an entirely different season if we had changed coaches in January. A year ago, Thomas Tuchel went to Chelsea after Christmas and turned an uninspired, somewhat struggling side to the champions of Europe. Never underestimate the power of a fresh start, but here we are. Here we are, Uh, a lot of blame to go around, but this isn't all doom and gloom because to be honest with you, when you think about it, when you look at it and when you kind of like take it into smaller pieces and you look at it with some level of analysis, it can be said that there are surprisingly few places that if you fix them, anything will be possible. It's not like we already have great players, we have great people, we have great facilities and the project has got a lot of great stuff in it and of course it's a great project and sometimes we have very, sound, we sound very negative about it of course there's a lot of great things about it happening all the time but there are some strategic places where you need to uh, pick up the pace, where you need to do better choices, where you need to do better things just a little bit better than what has been done before and it can happen that anything is possible. At the same time, of course, a huge organization is contractually tied to all possible directions and people you need to pay off if you want them to leave. You can't just sort of like sack them up. I've talked about this before. This kind of club, this kind of organization, it turns slowly like an ocean cruise ship. But at the same time, with clever choices, anything is possible. That is all I'm saying. Our men's team... Ah uh, true against Strasbourg this weekend. Always a difficult stadium to go to. I won't get too much into it because well, you know, I won't. But we considered a quick goal, then got two goal advantage towards the end, which we lost and true because Strasbourg was fighting. They are still fighting for a place in Continental Football and it was exemplary. Like That is what I want to see from PSG. I have talked a lot about this needing-to-be-deadly Ligue side that comes to matches with such force, creates such powerful dynamic and does what it needs to win every point by as large margin as possible. And then big things can happen in Europe as well when you start from home. But what I really mean in practice is that I want our players to want the points as much as Strasbourg did as it was chasing us until the final whistle. I personally am very far from a Strasbourg supporter, I haven't yet forgotten how they mangled Neymar's foot and then bragged about it after finishing his season more or less that time, but there are new people also there and I will give them, this to their credit, a real wonderful comeback showing some real strength of character, some grinta. Speaking of grinta, if it's not too much of a laboured segue, <laughs> it brings me to Tjeko Look, this is so speculative that it's basically irrelevant. But let me say this on record, as I did on Twitter earlier, that while anything can happen and I am aware of the potential downfalls, there's a chance that this will look foolish with time, like my optimism with Pochettino did. But uh, if the power structure above the manager is adjusted, if something happens there, and all in all we become more functional entity, I would be open to have Diego Mota as the coach. He knows the club, uh, many players, uh, even the ones who are new we went there before that. He speaks Portuguese, French, Italian, I'm sure some Spanish and whatever else. I'm a policing his linguistic skills abilities, but but they're good. Let's just say that they're good. He has authority. He commands respect and he knows how the midfield needs to work. I know it's, you know, still of course a little bit untested on this level, but just to throw this into the universe, I'm open if that opportunity arises to back him up. As our next coach, it means nothing. No one, is, no one cares what I think. All I'm saying is that I'm. This is my participation to the conversation. If the opportunity arises, I, I'm not against it. Not to say that he's my first choice necessarily, but there's something quite nice about the prospect. If he did well, you know, he could be a great long-term coach because many of the other names that are there in the mix seem very temporary at best. But you know, we don't know. That is it. At this point, everything is speculative. We live very savage times, the gossiping and the rumours are all-time high, and every two minutes there's a new info whether Mbappe will stay or go, what happens to the coach, or will Pochettino even stay, how about Leonardo, will Catoto renew, how about the bridge, and how is the entire hummer situation solved. The answers to each one of these questions will inevitably become available when the time is right. Guessing them every day based on some rumour is fun to some people, but essentially it's a meaningless, inconsequential bit of water cooler chat or furious tweeting, as sometimes it is in my case. But, you know, patience is age, as we have a saying in Finland. Up next for men is Troy on Sunday night, and for women... It is not an easy match against Bordeaux on Saturday early evening. That is next weekend. Thanks a lot for listening. More PSG review again next time around. My name is Miko. You can talk to me on Twitter and Instagram at PSG Helsinki. And if you want to email me with some ideas, feedback or whatever else, it is PSG Helsinki at gmail.com. For now, take it easy and until next time, peace.